Welcome to Choosing Leadership, a podcast for high performers with big dreams and for leaders who know that they are more powerful than the level that they are currently playing. I am Sumit Gupta, your host and the founder CEO of the Deploy Yourself School of Leadership. I am here to help the best leaders get better and to help organizations massively improve their output and impact and at the same time eradicating workplace stress. Yes completely eradicating not just reducing completely eradicating i believe in creating a future and a work culture where people wait for mondays not fridays and get to do their most meaningful work the aim of this podcast is not to provide you more content but instead shift the context under which you operate this podcast is titled choosing leadership because that is what leadership is a choice In each episode I will celebrate leaders who have made such choices which are not always easy and comfortable but which has helped them get to where they are today. And let us celebrate the leader in us for choosing to move over our fears, for choosing to be motivated by something bigger than ourselves and for choosing to deal with every challenge that comes on the way. Let us celebrate you right now for stepping into the unknown and taking courageous action as those were the moments when you chose leadership at the end i will share how you can be our next guest on this podcast and with that let's get started ranjan is a serial entrepreneur and the founder and ceo at entropic tech he is an ai enthusiast a neuroscience lover and a sales hustler in the interview ranjan shares his journey from humble beginnings to building a successful startup he emphasizes the importance of sales as a life skill and highlights the need to understand human behavior in the digital age ranjan discusses his leadership approach focusing on people first and leading by example as the company grows he remains grounded and detached from outcomes however he acknowledges the disconnect that can arise when others perceive his success differently hi ranjan welcome to the choosing leadership podcast hi hi sumit thanks a lot for making part of this one yeah it's a pleasure to have you here can you share a little bit about yourself and what is it that keeps you busy these days sure i'm ranjan i'm founder and ceo at entropic tech certain so tropic what we do is help brands understand consumer behavior and emotions and then help them create better experiences so that's what we do it's a 7 year old startup very ip led product organization and then it's been quite a journey of being zero to about 240 people team now so that's been last 7 years for me and then it's going on scale up mode yeah absolutely so we will certainly touch upon that but i was looking at your profile and i see like you are a chemical engineer from iit and then mm-hmm. you have been like a founder previously as well so i wanted to understand more of uh, your journey right so how did you move from let's say being an engineer to being an entrepreneur and you also write you you are a sales hustler <laughs> so maybe uh, share a little bit more about your journey how do these dots connect so i graduated from iit college in chemical engineer engineering and i had some background in soft computing as well as part of my minor courses that was my remote test connect with technology so to say back then this was 2008 and the first 
four years of my career, I worked with ONGC, ITC, primarily setting up plants and oil and gas and offshore and rigs. You know, that was my journey. And I think 2012 was an interesting time for me as in, and like everyone, I wrote my GMAT ex exam after coming out from IIT and the intent was go pursue a B school in US, one of the Ivy Leagues and got a good score, got a call from Wharton and that was a, that was a time when I happened to actually speak to one of my alumni from college who was already there and he gave me a very interesting piece of advice that Ranjan, you are 26 and then you want to pursue your company at some point in time in your life, your entrepreneurship journey, if that you believe is your calling. You go to a B school that's two years and $200,000 and you will probably join Bain McKinsey, one of these consulting for next three years to just be financially independent. And you have become 31 now with this five year plus 26. Do you really want to get your, take your shot at 31? And that stuck me hard as a tap and I left my job and plunged into very amateurish first stint of entrepreneurship with a company called as oeparty.com. And it was the consumer internet wave in India, very early days. And back then the ecosystem was not the way it is today. Startups were not the sexiest thing out there. And then it's, it, it was not appraised and believed in the way it is today. There was limited set of VC ecosystem and accelerator programs out there. So that was my first take of entrepreneurship, ran it two years till 14 and tried to scale for five cities and about 100,000 users. Couldn't monetize enough and we were at a point in 2014 where the question I had for myself was that, is that something would stop somebody else to come and beat me into this consumer internet thing with a little better financial engineering? Couldn't answer enough and then felt that probably I know how to start and take a plunge that belief is there, but I got to learn how to scale and that's where I joined a company called Citrus Payments, which was in its founding days. And along with founders, I joined as one of the core team members, heading sales as the first sales guy there. And uh, subsequently headed business for them, ramped up the sales team to about two hour people odd, all the way till exit. So Citrus got acquired by Nasper in 2016. And that was my two years of being a sales guy. So building a company prior to that, purely from product lens and then being a sales guy happened subsequently. Mm -hmm. Subsequent to that, after exit, went back to my whiteboard, felt a lot more ready to take my next plunge. And that's when Entropic happens. Chemical so engineer, but nothing related to what I do. Yeah, yeah. So that's quite, quite a journey. And I would like to touch upon a few things which you shared. So when you were like thinking about the MBA, even then you had that dream of becoming an entrepreneur, right? So you, your friend told you that you had this calling. So can you share a bit about when did it became clear to you that this is something which you wanted to do? I think it takes me a little back from about my origins of where I come. I come from Muzaffarpur, Bihar. It's a small place and that's where my schooling happened. And I left my home very early in, at the age of 14 after 10th standard. And I went to Rachi Pripar or plus two. As it happened from there, I went to IIT. And since first year of IIT, I've been like every summer vacation, I used to run this physics tuitions and coachings to support my education and make some money to enjoy my life better. So that was the first time when I started earning at the age of 17. And because I think when, and at my place, I always felt that there's a need for good coaching to the students. And there's a lot of hard work that a lot of students do, but couldn't cross through the line. So that was my time at starting to earn. And 
it was fascinating as in how how word of mouth spreads how you start with a small thing like teaching five people and then you realize that in a month's time there are 300 people wanting to join your classroom so that scale up had a kick and i felt that early in my college days like first year summer vacation essentially and that stayed with me so as i went about doing chemical engineering learning bunch of stuff exploring various options while you do a job which you do as you come out of college from placement but that sort of stuck to me and i felt that there's a calling and purpose and i found that it's reasonable for me to follow that dream so yeah that that sort of came back to me as i went thought about going to this school Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for, for sharing that. And I think, is that also where you started to learn sales? Because a lot of engineers find sales very difficult. And you just, as a matter of fact, mentioned that you raised a sales team to 200 people. So can you share how did you learn and become good at sales? I don't know about good at sales, but I learned for sure. I think sales is not a skill for job. It's a life skill. And we are all selling at all points in time, always, right? So whether you are applying for application in a university or you are going for a B school or you are applying for a job or whatever you're doing, you are essentially exchanging your skills, positioning and getting, showcasing the value and getting the value for it. So sales is constantly happening in its different form factors. But yeah, I think as I went about first time making earning for myself and then Seeing it scale up, that's when precisely sales happen for the first time. And from there, also when you grow up in a small town, in a little, in a lower middle class family, you essentially, sales comes very naturally to you, whether you are trying to figure out how do I get a day off for a cricket match, or I'm trying to maneuver through school days to figure out something else that I want to do, or living plus two outside of home and trying to optimize my wallet expense and pocket monies that's been given. So sales yeah. happens all the time. I think if you're a little aware, that's always happening. Yeah. So in that terms, with your growth that has happened and now with uh, with Entropic also, how do you think that you are different from like those early days when you were growing up? Yeah. And how, where do you think that you are still the same? That's a fabulous question. First of all, I think it's, it's very well summarized, but long story. I think at the core of your personality, you stay the same as in how do you approach sales? How do you approach any of your role? At the core, who you are is a function of how you have been nurtured, what's your experience has been. So that stays constant in terms of how do you approach a problem? I think nature of problem and at different scale keeps changing and your maturity to adapt, react and respond keeps changing. Back then, if I would be given a very Herculean scenario, probably I'll panic a lot more mm. uh, now and I would react um, now it's a lot more responding because you know that you cannot control external factors too much but how do you respond to it is where it is right so with years of failures more so failures and successes you get that wisdom of what to react to what not to react to what to respond to and how to adapt yourself into various scenarios so I, I feel that hearing through constraints is what mm -hmm. I've learned better. But at the core, approaching it through the tools that you have internally, those tools stays constant. Yeah. And what are some of those tools that you rely upon, say, on a very regular basis? I think there are various kinds, but something which is very close to me and I've tried changing or I have not tried changing either ways it has stayed the same. I think... Uh, 
rational and empathy. These are two things that I've always dealt with in my individual contributor role or being a manager or being in a leadership role across board. I think these are very strong virtues of personality yeah. that one can have and staying humbled and grounded and be grateful about the opportunity that comes your way are just the core essence of how I feel anyone should and I've tried at least to approach all my work so far. Mm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Now coming to Entropic, can you share a little bit about how you got started with the idea and now going forward towards the future, what is your vision for, let's say, the next three to five years? Sure. So I had exited from Citrus and Citrus got acquired and there was not much on there. And then I went back to my whiteboard and I think there was a little bit of burn of the first startup as well, because you invested two, two and a half years of your life to realize that probably you don't have enough differentiator. So one thing was constant. I want to build something which has got its differentiator sorted very early on. There were a few more boundary conditions around which I thought to build this as it evolved. One was the best way to ensure that you have a differentiator sorted early on is build something which has got a core IP. So we promised ourselves we are not going to do something which is not fundamentally different and which does not have IP value. And that's where the foundation of rolling out IP-led product organization came into play. Technology, I was close to it. My minor was in soft computing. So that came naturally to me that AI and soft computing is a interesting space and probably one way or the other world is going to go in that direction. B2B was where I succeeded in my sales life for Citrus. So I felt that B2B is where I can best uh, contribute. So these becomes a few pillars, so to say, to envisage for the next thing. And then it was about because the analogy of choose a large market, choose something which is a hard problem, unsolved problem probably. Why unsolved problem? Because if you choose something which is so difficult, ridiculously difficult that even if you solve 50% of it, you'll be the best out there solving for it. So in that way, you are solving problem statement and not solving competition. For me, it was like, I always did when there were uh, very difficult exam papers and those subjective long ITJ exams. And I felt that when you are, when those are so difficult that pass marks is five marks out of 100, I always did better because I was not worried that here was one wrong tick mark I did and I would lose out to competition for one mistake. So I always love hard problems, very hard problems I want to pick. But here, because of business angle, I was also looking at the one which is problem of a scale of humanity, possibly. So with that constraint, I... So essentially, we chose a problem statement like that. The problem was that world is going to go digital inevitably. And the way we understand each other as humans and be it a business understanding a consumer or two friends understanding each other is not just by what we see over a cup of coffee. We learn a lot more by gestures, by facial expressions, by not just what is said, but how it is said. And that those are the core essence of expressions, basis which businesses converse with customers. And as the world is going to go digital, these intelligence is going to be required by business to create meaningful experiences and hence understanding of human behavior uh, or consumer behavior, so to say, is super important. And it's a humanity-sized problem. And I went into how people understand behavior. And there's an interesting finding which says that 95% of behavior is subconscious and 5% of our behavior is conscious. 
which means, and, and if you look at today, how do brands understand consumer? It's either by surveys. I will ask you a question on zero to 10. How do you feel about a product or something? And everyone answers 8.5 brand does not get anything beyond A-B testing. How can you fundamentally understand human behavior and the roots of it is uh, gonna set into, can you understand human emotion and more subconscious features of behavior? And that's where we went about, looked at this problem and then largely aligned ourselves to helping brands create meaningful experiences, be it product experience, be it marketing experience. So CMO and CPO functions are the two functions where whether CM marketing organization is trying to create advertisement or package design or any sort of stuff, can we help them with insights of really what a customer is feeling about this particular product, this particular advertisement or product? If you're creating an app, then where exactly people are looking, what they are, what they are finding interesting, what is the driver for them to make a decision or a purchase? So can we help them create experiences which is much more meaningful? And then the other overlay was that we are living in a attention deficit economy, right? Like we're in a world where human attention span is less than of a goldfish. And a stat suggests that 2000 in human attention span was 2001 human attention span was 13 seconds on an average. It has depleted to five seconds on an average. We can mass maximum have a five second attention span. Which means that every everything that's coming your way from business side, whether it's a product or an ad or whatever, you have that five second attention span to capture to be meaningful. And then, unless you are creating something which is which strikes the emotional chord with a human, you're not going to sustain a with things like Amul ad and then the things which creates nostalgia in us, the yeah. old good Maggie ads and stuff. We love the brands for the emotional connect that it can strike and draw. So the goal was how to create those experiences. In pursuit of it, which we created a bunch of technologies, facial coding using webcam or bicam, we understand the face expression. We went into brain mapping. We understood eye tracking, where exactly user is looking on the screen, voice AI, understanding tonality. So brain, face, eye, voice are the four things that we went into to create world's first multi model emotion AI platform and we own currently approved 17 patent claims on that. So that that was early days of thinking about Tropic and finding out the pillars which made sense to me. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And uh, so I love what you shared about attention and also 95% of our communication being subconscious and how you have created a business around that. But I would like to understand how does it play a role for you as a leader, right? Because you have now, you, as you said, 240 people. So you, I am assuming most today you are talking to people, like a big part of your role is communication. And how do you manage your attention? How do you manage to have those communication well, which as you yourself said, 95% is subconscious. How do you do that? And what challenges do you have right now as you deal with that? Sure. No, I think it's, I always believed that entrepreneurship or leadership is more of a internal journey than external journey, which means that it's, to begin with, you are one person company and then you get, you have your co-founder. So you probably, this about three people journey and then it scales and there's more team and more people. And there are three phases of it. The first phase is when you do a lot and nothing comes out. Hmm. The second phase is when you do a lot and something comes out. And the third phase is when you do less and more comes out. And the way 
it works is that input gradually decreases because you get wise and output amplifies. So the nature of leadership early days or internal management early days was, can you run faster and harder and better and whatever way? So it was that, which means that my communication to the team was about, let's work hard, let's get things together. So there are less a number of people, you can be more cordial and then you can have various forms of conversation. As it scales, it's about your quality of decision-making. It's about your choice of communication as in where you even want to react, respond, and what you don't want to react, respond. And the choice of many times, even if you know what's the outcome as you let it play out, you and at the core of it is two things. One is what you keep at center of your working style or leadership or communication. Is it people? Is it business? Is it investor? Is it scale up? Is it anything else? And second, how aware you are when you are speaking or when you are making any decision. And I think both have been massive learning curve for me. Not making a decision is a good decision many times. Don't make a fatigue decision. Be super aware because when a conversation is going, there's a lot more happening than what is being said. So what's the underlying motivation? Why it is this way? What are we trying to solve for? So I think the choice of having a conscious conversation, communication, and approach versus being a mindless elephant, the transitionary path, so to say, where awareness and mindfulness brings the best out of you. So. I think I have pursued that as my path mm. in my internal cycle of how I can get better and not just run hard, but can be, can I be probably doing lesser than, but then a lot more mindfully. I think that's been the. Yeah, I have worked with a lot of entrepreneurs and in a way you have summed up my job very well, <laughs> like to move for helping people move from like doing more and producing less to doing less and producing more. So that's a wonderful analogy and reflection, Ranjan. But can you share how do you build that awareness or that perspective? And then how do you also support your team, the people that you're working with in that? Because as your organization grows bigger, it's not just you, it's also other people who are into leadership roles. So how do you help those also in this grow in this inner journey, as you very rightly said? Sure. So see, first of all, I think any business is a the definition of a business is there are some total of set of people aligned with a common purpose and approach. So it starts always with a set of people. So uh -huh. I believe that that has to be at the core of leadership decision-making, that it's a people-first approach. Because if that works out well, everything else works out magical. And you will see that companies, if you see that if a company has got 60% productive, aligned team working on a common path, they're going to create disproportionate magic out there. If you have 30%, you're okay. But 40% people with you, you will create still very good outcomes. So I believe that my role as a leader, as it has evolved is, how can I pass on the vision and the passion that I carry with everyone at my leadership level to begin with? And then how can they communicate the same across the team, right? Which means that without diluting, without diffusing that energy and a sense of it. And that's a very hard task, which means that you communicate things as it is, right? Like without adulterating or putting it in the filters of what is right and wrong. Create an open culture where communication is welcomed and people take pride in that. 
And then when you do that, you keep yours and you can do that only if you keep yourself detached from outcome and you run the process internally, which means that the more you worry about the outcome, the more corrupt you become into your efforts. So I think my internal process is that keep yourself detached from outcome. You have looked at one high level view of things, work out a plan, communicate that effectively, listen more than speak, and then keep yourself uptight onto the running the process. Go back, end of day, sleeping on the bed, thinking that you did your job well, and, and rest has to align, rest does align. Second aspect being never lead by fear, always lead by inspiration. If I cannot show my team how it is done, I have no rights to ask for them to do it. Or at least in early days, I think as it scales, you always want people who are more accomplished than you and they are doing better than you, which you love to have attended. But I think early days, you got to show your team as in how it's done. Most of the time in startup, you don't have enough historical data to extrapolate and our mind runs very linearly. So if you don't have historical data, how do you prove can be done. The only way it can be done is you show how it is done. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I think what you are sharing is a perfect example of leading by example. And there's also a level of groundedness or a maturity that I'm listening in you. But my next question would be success, not just changes your perspective, as you mentioned, right? Your path has allowed you to learn this and to grow. But success also changes how other people treat you, both within your company, but it could also be people outside like people who have known you from decades earlier. So can you share now, as you have grown internally, as you mentioned, right, as you are in this journey, but when you go out to meet people, when you meet people, whether employees or whether your family members or people outside, what do normally people get wrong about you? Or, and then how do you deal with that disconnect, if I can use that word? Yeah, no, I think it happens, right? It started happening to me a little early when I went to IIT and then it was at my place, a big thing. and then. Everyone's perspective changes from this guy being the most spoiled kid to something like something decent he's doing in his life. And then entrepreneurship as it happened. I think as I said that we are more afraid about unknowns than bad things, which means that if there is a bad thing which is known, we are comfortable with it. So how everyone views you is success is known and hence people find a lot of comfort in it and then they approach with it in terms of aspiration as well as the idea. People who have not succeeded enough in their life and success has got its own nuance in how it's defined, but people who have not succeeded, they substantially think that it's a very unknown, it's an alien thing and it is probably something altogether different. But And that's where I find some disconnect when everyone is trying to find or something. It's just ridiculously hard process of running it day in, day out and being disciplined about it. And yeah, at times I find it very hard to connect because for me, nothing has changed. And I just might be more so with non-agenda conversations where there's no thought process of like how, there's no outcome, right? There's no agenda to it. And those are most fun for me. I think at times, yeah, I do struggle with that, but that's fine. It's okay, Krishna, with that. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. So you already mentioned that, but can you share a bit more on like, how do you manage your pressure? How do you manage conflicting priorities? How do you manage like when everything, because no matter how much you have learned, entrepreneurship never ceases to surprise you. 
or gives you bad news, right? So how do you deal with that right now? Yeah, no, so that's an interesting one. Yeah, I started in 2016 and it's about seven years. And in specific, last four years have been immensely tough, I would say, because it's been part of scale up, three waves of COVID, and then almost a recession market now. And some, I had kids in between, so that's a thing in itself. So you are hustling through various things together in your personal and professional capacity. And then at scale up of series A and series B and expectation of four different geographies and markets scale up. I think, as I said, that the first and foremost is not to give too much importance to yourself. It means our own identity and ego is a big killer and pressure builder. Means there's so many entrepreneurs ever lived on this planet and they've done great things and they've lived. You're not so important. You are just another guy who's trying your bit of what gives you solace and peace and purpose in life and that sort of keeps you grounded and that at the end of the day most of these pressure is a outcome of our mental speculation than the reality it's mm. like there's nothing much that can happen right the second part is that i think outcome is good to plan but the soonest possible on any pursuit you keep yourself detached from outcome is the best thing to happen and there's a caveat into it that you have to be, you have to be motivated while being detached from the outcome, which means that you have to find your motivation in the process and the discipline than the outcome. If you keep thinking about outcome and aligning of what you are doing and where you are with where it needs to go, you will become a pressure cooker. I think practicing these two things and being just aware in the moment of what I'm doing now, once I have laid out a long-term, short-term plan, keeps you on a daily basis away from breaking your head and then being a little peaceful. Thank you. Thank you, Ranjan, for sharing this and giving this like deep insight into who you are, apart from what you do or what success you have tasted. And as we end this, for anybody who might be listening and wants to reach out or find out more about you, what would be the best way for them to do? Yeah, I'm very active on LinkedIn. Anyone who wants to write me on LinkedIn, feel free to ping. I'm usually within a yeah, I do respond and reward and would love to hear more thoughts on to how everyone else has pursued their uh, internal, external journeys and challenges that everyone faced through scaling up different aspects of the life and career and professional space. Happy to hear all those inputs and learn from everyone from you. Absolutely, Ranjan. I will make sure that I share your LinkedIn profile with the show notes and you can look at some of the previous episodes of this podcast. To actually go through like how different people see their journey differently. I did actually. I did actually. And it was pretty nice. I think it's learning by stories is such a thing because that gives you so many perspective than what mm -hmm. you can book. So I think that was really good. Thank you. As we end this, thank you, Ranjan, for sharing everything that you shared and for who you are. And I wish you all the best for everything that lies ahead for you. Thanks, Sumit. Thanks, Lord. It was a pleasure conversing on this one. Thank you. Same here. It was a pleasure. That's it for this episode of Choosing Leadership with Sumit Gupta. I choose leadership every time I record this podcast. And I invite you to do the same. I invite you to design a life of joy, meaning, pride and satisfaction. Not just for yourself, but for everybody around you. If you got something out of this episode, would you share this episode on social media? And if you know somebody who would be a great guest, can you tag them on social media to let them know about the show? 
And if you are a leader who wants to acknowledge how far you have come and have big dreams for the future, please reach out to me to be a guest on this podcast. And I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. This is what I do most naturally, to lovingly and gently provoke you, to help you see your own light, to help you see what you are already capable of. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and it means a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to deployyourself.com and subscribe to my newsletter or follow me on LinkedIn. I want to thank everyone who contributed to making this show a reality. And I want to thank you for listening. Always remember that you are enough, you are loved and you matter. This is Sumit. Until next time, keep choosing leadership.